Bless you, God, we thank you that you are um, a good, good shepherd that gives, um, gives us everything we need. And uh, Father, I pray that as, uh, as we open up your word, I pray, God, that, um, that you would uh, open our ears and our hearts to, uh, to receive um, your word implanted. God, I pray that you would um, just reveal more of your character to us. God, I pray that you would expose uh, areas in our life that, um, that we're not trusting you in, God, um, areas that are scary, um, areas that um, are uncertain, and I pray, God, that we would um, just be encouraged today that we have a good shepherd who is with us and who leads us and who laid down his life for us. So, God, please uh, go before us, and I pray that we would just continue to make much of you through um, your written word. And God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, kids. Glad to have you guys here. I had a mom the last service go. I think it's the same mom that said it the last time we did this. It's like, I'm glad we only do this four times, four times a year. My husband isn't here. I'm here with these four kids. They're like doing the belly roll in the seats. And, so no belly rolls. I didn't even know what that is, um, but no belly rolls in the seats. Personally, I'm glad you're here, kids. Really glad that you're here. And parents, just a reminder that every Sunday, um, it's, it's your choice. You can have them in here with us. We rejoice in that. Or you're welcome to bring them upstairs where there's just awesome things going on with song and, and the word for them. Um, we are starting a five-week sermon series, as Pat talked about, called um, from Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. And uh, it's, today we're going to be unpacking one verse, and I'm going to be kind of laying the framework for the next um, five verses. So today it's, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if I can be honest with you, there's something that I am really longing for this weekend. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but I am really praying for a Rockies victory, and for the Dodgers to implode. I mean, I don't want them to die. I just want, the, I just want them to lose. Um, so if you just pray alongside me, no, we won't, we won't even go there. I sent out this week a anti-psalm on, the, on Realm, and it's, uh, it was written by David Pallison, and it was, it was written to, um, to contradict, if you will, Psalm 23. And as I read this anti-psalm, I want you to really um, listen to the words. The words should be up there as well. And ask, God, where, where do I fit at in this, an, uh, this anti-psalm? And what do you want to do in my heart through this five-week sermon series called um, from Psalm 23? Let me read it. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing is quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want to do it. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out for me? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road. But I'd rather not think about it. 
I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into a void? This anti-psalm tells what life feels like and looks like whenever we lose sight of God's love, God's care, and his provision for us. And we look for the promised abundant life and what we don't have rather than what we already possess. I don't know if you can relate with me at any level on that. Fortunately, this this anti-psalm is not the final story. The 23rd Psalm points us to what life looks like when we understand and live inside the good shepherd's love and care for us, his sheep. Yes, I am sometimes dissatisfied, actually, with what I have. And 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 I'm consumed with what I want. And it's not that asking for what we want is bad. God gives good gifts. He wants to hear from his children. The question is, will I be satisfied? Will I be content? Will I even be joyful inside of my satisfaction and contentment, no matter what the outcome? No matter what the outcome. In the affluent technological age that we live in, it's hard to understand what Jesus meant when he said, I came to give you life and to give you life abundantly. Oftentimes we, uh, we confuse the abundant life that Jesus is talking about with an abundance of things. It comes down to, I believe, to trusting and believing that he, the good shepherd, knows what's best for my life. That he understands my needs better than I understand my own needs. It's, it's an understanding that he supplies all that I need that I can find contentment, not necessarily all that I want. The, the difference between com, uh, contentment and complacency, um, I've shared this with some of you. It's kind of been a journey I've been on the last couple of years because um, oftentimes in my own life, I find myself discontent. Um, oftentimes people that I'm um, shepherding under the good shepherding of the good shepherd is that I find people that are discontent. Um, and what I, t- what, I, what I tell myself, what I see so clearly in God's word, is that we're called to contentment. We're called to contentment, but we're not necessarily called to complacency. And, and the difference is, I wrote this down this morning, that contentment is joy and satisfaction in the midst of any circumstance. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve. It doesn't mean that we're not sad. It doesn't mean that we're not bummed. But true contentment, lasting contentment, biblical contentment is, um, is joy and satisfaction in the midst of any circumstance or want, if I might add that. Complacency is doing nothing to change the circumstance you're in. And God doesn't call you to complacency. And let me just give you an example. If you're, if you're in a job um, that you hate, um, actually what God calls you to is to be content inside of that. It asks you to find joy in him inside of that job that you hate. But he doesn't call it a complacency. He doesn't say that you've got to stay in that job or not. He doesn't say, he might say that you should stay in that job. 
But he doesn't say you, don't, you can't look over the fence and look at other job opportunities. So contentment and complacency, and I want to give that to you because I think we're, we, we exasperate each other sometimes when we talk about contentment. But we just feel like, man, you just got to do nothing. No, if you're sick, um, if you've got um, um, cancer, God forbid, uh, there's actually a couple people in the body that do have cancer. I mean, he doesn't tell you to sit there and, and um, be content without taking steps that he has so graciously provided to possibly eradicate the sickness or the cancer. Are you with me on that? He calls us to contentment, not complacency. I've learned over the years, I'm a slow learner, that God is faithful. And I, I see it in his word. If you've, if you've been any time as a Christian, you spend any time um, underneath good preaching of God's word or reading God's word yourself, you know that God is faithful. But sometimes um, when we know he's faithful, it's hard to actually live as if he's faithful when we're in the midst of a circumstance um, uh, that we want, to, we want to change. Or we have, we have wants. So I've learned over the years that God is faithful. What others have meant for harm in my life, God did mean it for good. I've learned that he does, in fact, work all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I've learned that in hindsight, looking back on those things. And I look across this room, and I know many of you have experienced trials and pains in your life. And I know that on this side of the trial, you can say God has been faithful through all of it. That God knew what I needed. It was hard, it was painful. I would not want to go through it again, but he knew what I needed. And for me, I need to remember these life markers of his faithfulness as, as new challenges uh, rear their ugly head and present themselves to me. And let me ask you this. What are your perceived needs or wants that are keeping you up at night? What's keeping you up at night? What do you worry about? What is it that you don't have that you want that causes worry in your life? There's a lot of people in northern Colorado that are um, employed in the oil and gas industry. And I can imagine if I was employed in that industry that I would, have, um, I would be tempted towards anxiety with this looming initiative 97 on the ballot. Maybe that's one thing that you're anxious about. Health safety of your dear, dear children, security, maybe an aging loved one. Maybe you've got um, a mom or a dad that you haven't talked with in five years, 10 years, 15 years, and you want a relationship with them, but you don't know how, about, how to go about that. I trust that over the next five weeks, this 23rd Psalm will uniquely minister to you if you allow, to open, if you allow yourself to open up your, your hearts and your minds to what God has to say in this 23rd Psalm. You know what's wrong with the 23rd Psalm? Is that it's, it's overly familiar. We all know it. Some of you have memorized it in three different versions. That's a good thing. But I want to I encourage you, no matter how many times you've soaked in it, no matter how many times, if you can just get up here right now and just recite it, um, that I believe, because God's Word is living and active, it's His abiding Word that He's got something for you in a deep way and something for our body in a deep way the next five weeks. The Psalms. The Psalms are a, hundred, uh, uh, a book that has 150 um, poems or songs in it, if you will. They're Psalms. 73 of those have been written by King David. Um, others are anonymous or some Moses wrote. This is an important one I'm going to say right here. And I, I want you to hear me on this. 
is that the, psalm, uh, the 23rd Psalm is written for Christians alone. It's written for Christians. Um, it is probably the most known um, chapter or, or book of the Bible. Is it a chapter? It's a chapter of the Bible for, for everybody. People, uh, Christians and non-Christians alike, um, know this. Many people take an actually false comfort from this psalm. You see, none of God's ultimate blessings come to you and I outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, there's so much common grace. Look around the room. This, uh, look at our kids. That's common grace. I got to spend um, the day in the mountains yesterday riding four-wheelers with good friends of ours. And even in the midst of of a dust-stained face, it was evidence of God's grace being with good friends and being in his good creation. But this psalm is for Christians alone. Christ is the great shepherd for God's people. And if you do not belong to Jesus, God is not your shepherd, actually. Um, If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, Psalm is for you. Um, Jesus said this in chapter 10 of the book of John. Uh, If you want to know more about this um, uh, uh, sheep-shepherd relationship, um, John chapter 10 and Ezekiel 34 are good places to go. He says this, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, Psalm 23 is a psalm of confidence in God's faithfulness. And how do you ever have confidence in God's faithfulness if, you're not, if you don't belong to the Lord? In this psalm, David praises God for God's presence, for God's provision, and for God's protection. We've got to ask the question, who's David? Some of you are going, well, duh, who's David? Some of you don't know who David is. Psalm 23 was written by King David. King David lived a thousand years before Christ was born. He was the youngest of eight brothers, and he tended to his, um, his family's flock of sheep. And while David was faithfully shepherding the sheep, when he was a a boy, the Lord anointed him as the king of Israel. In this poem, the 23rd Psalm, David puts himself in the place of the sheep, and he calls the Lord the shepherd. David the shepherd puts himself in the place of the sheep and refers to the Lord as the shepherd. So being a shepherd, David had a unique understanding of the character and abilities of the good shepherd and the behavior of the sheep. He understood both the the needs of the sheep and the many cares of the shepherd. In this 23rd Psalm, David compares himself to these weak, defenseless, and foolish creatures and takes the Lord God to be his provider, protector, director, and his everything. Now, you may know that David is a man after God's own heart. Which you might not remember that David was a man with a lot of issues. Like me, actually. Like you. He was an imperfect man with great struggles. That he, David, broke all Ten Commandments. He stole what was not his. He lied about it. He murdered. He probably struggled with depression. A man after God's own heart. He experienced the pain and betrayal of family and friends. He was a fugitive running from his life from King Saul, his mentor, and his son, Absalom. Both wanted to kill him. He experienced the pain and loss of losing his firstborn son. There was constant infighting and dysfunction amongst his children. Why do I tell you all that? 
it's important to know that David wrote this psalm not as a shepherd boy, but as the man King David. David wrote this psalm on the other side of his sin and on the other side of other people's sin against him. David wrote this psalm seeing, uh, in hindsight, God's faithfulness, all the markers throughout his life. The Lord is my shepherd. Who's the Lord? What, what is the Lord's character? Does the Lord have credentials to shepherd me? Does he know what's going on in my life? Yeah, he rules the world, but does he know what's going on in my life? See, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the personal name of Israel's God. We can spend a, a, a month actually breaking apart what this means and what the, what the genesis of this word means. But, but very simply, it means that, that he is the God who was, the God who is, and the God who will forever be. This L-O-R-D appears 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Yes, the Lord is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He is the God most high, but he's also the God most nigh. He's the God most high. When you look through a telescope or a microscope and you get a glimpse of the amazing world he created, you can't help but be in awe. But this God most high is the same God, the same Lord who calls his children by name. What do we know about shepherds from the Bible? In the ancient world, as Greg reminded us, being a shepherd is one of the lowliest and dirtiest jobs. Nobody wanted to. They, they relegated it to the youngest son in the family. Any kids here that are the youngest in the family? Youngest. Raise your hands high. Can we just stop and pray for you all right now? Actually, you're all spoiled. I'm the oldest. You guys belong with the sheep. No, I'm just kidding. Um, was that my out loud voice? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there are two types of shepherds in the Bible, those who own the sheep and those who were hired to manage the sheep. The Bible describes those who are hired as ones who care nothing for the sheep. It's just a job. And they flee at the first sign of trouble. A good shepherd who owns the sheep doesn't run at the sign of trouble, but is willing to lay down his life for the sheep whom he loves and whom he knows by name. In Ezekiel 34, we get a, get a picture of, a, um, of a, what a good shepherd should look like by hearing, what the Lord, uh, hearing the Lord condemn bad shepherds. So listen to the definition of a bad shepherd. Ezekiel 34, 4 through 6. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you've ruled over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, no good shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Being a shepherd is a 24-hour job. I've always thought that being a dairy farmer would be the hardest job because cows need milking twice a day, right? But I got to believe that being a shepherd is the hardest, got to be one of the hardest jobs out there. 24 hours a day, summer, winter, rain, shine. You live with the dirty, smelly sheep in the heat of the day, in the cold of night. No one in the right mind would choose to be a shepherd. A good shepherd 
is gentle with a sheep. A good shepherd, unlike a, uh, whatever you, what do you, Esther, what do you call a cowboy that like gets behind cows and runs them down the road? Like a roping cowboy. That works. He's a rustler, a roping cowboy. Cowpoke, does that work? No. Okay, whatever. So, so if you've got cattle, you get behind them and you drive them. But a shepherd is with his sheep and gently leads them. That is the difference between a shepherd and whatever you call the guy that, that does the cow thing. I know we've got a couple of cow veterinarians in the back there that are probably like, oh man, we've got a, I've got a Texas guy. Shepherds defend their flocks from all danger. Shepherds risk their life. A good shepherd is aware of the needs of the flock as a whole and the needs of the individual sheep. He was their constant companion and would need to know them individually and intimately to properly care for them. The sheep would learn to trust the shepherd. The sheep would know the shepherd's voice. Sheep do not just take care of themselves. They require Care, more care than any class of livestock. Endless care and meticulous attention. Sheep are prone to wander away from the shepherd and his flock. They're defenseless against predators. They will blindly follow other sheep into danger. Uh, when we lived on the west side of Windsor, we would take walks down along uh, Ptarmigan Country Club, and where it crosses the river there, I don't even know what road that is, uh, we, would, we would oftentimes peek over the top and we'd, we would just chuck rocks into the river. And one time I looked over into the river off of that that, that road there, and down below, I saw what looked to be a dozen dead sheep on the bottom of the pooter. And what we came to find out is that, that one sheep went into the water that was running pretty fast. Do you remember this, Mitch? Seeing those sheep? You're still scarred from that, probably. I'm sorry. <laughs> they didn't have a good shepherd. They, it, one sheep went in, the next one followed them, the next one followed them. And that's what sheep do. That's what we're prone to do, is to follow each other. And really what we need to do is follow one another as we follow the shepherd, not just blindly follow other sheep. Sheep will not lie down to rest if they don't trust their shepherd. If sheep knows that there's danger out there and, there's, and, and, um, and the shepherd is not watching out for them, they won't, they won't sleep, they won't rest. Sheep are prone to disease. They will run in fear when there's danger. And oftentimes they'll run to places where there's more danger. They need to be cared for and loved, and it's no accident that God chose the word sheep to describe you and I. In Psalm 95, 7, it says, for he is our God, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people the sheep of his pasture. And then in John 10, Jesus taught that he is ultimately our shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand cannot, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for my sheep. And like David, Jesus was both a sheep and a shepherd. Jesus as a lamb of God literally laid down his life for his sheep on the cross. 
And what an amazing paradox that is, that the good shepherd became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He took the place of you and I, his sheep. He was led to slaughter, Isaiah 53. He gave everything of himself to provide our greatest need, a shepherd and a savior. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So what do we do with I shall not want? This phrase, I shall not want, this, this assertion, if you will, employs the same Hebrew word used in the statement of God to the Israelites regarding their time in the Exodus, wandering in the wilderness. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 2. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through the great wilderness. He knows you're going, whatever wilderness you're in. Whatever trial might become your way at some point, he is with you in that. He is going through that with you. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And the last time I looked, they were thirsty. They were hungry. They were wondering when they would finally get to the promised land. There's all kinds of issues. They had all kinds of wants. But he said, he says to them, you lacked nothing. What in the world could it be referring to? Based on all the anguish and hardship that David experienced in his life, and he had a lot of it, it's actually disingenuous and it's absurd for me to say that the child of God, the sheep in the shepherd's care, will never experience lack or need. And it just comes down to a definition of need. How could David say, I shall not want or I lack nothing? You see, in both of the scenarios, the, the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt and our deliverance from the power of Satan and sin, he is... He is He's given us, he's a, he has met our greatest need. And that's the relationship with him. It's our greatest need. There's no greater need. What are the implications of this? Since, since he was not spared, but delivered up himself to meet our ultimate need, we can be sure he will give us everything we need. God will give us everything we need. The problem is, is that do we know what we need? Or is it just a want? Listen to Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things that we need? You see, the prosperity gospel is alive and well all over the planet. And they're selling the lie that, um, that God wants to give you everything you want. And if you're not getting what you want, if you're not being healed from every disease, you're not prospering financially, that there's something, um, there's something wrong with, your, with, with yourself, actually. You're living in some type of sin. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, all things we need? He knows what we need. If the God of the universe is your shepherd, you will lack nothing you actually need. Growing contentment is the hallmark of maturing Christians. I didn't say mature Christian. 
I don't even know what that looks like. We're actually not going to be to full maturity until we're face-to-face with Jesus. But growing contentment is the hallmark of a maturing Christian. As sheep of His pasture, we can say that we're... We can say and believe that we are completely satisfied with His management of our life. Why? Because He gave His life for us. If he, gave us, if he met that need, he's going to meet every other need we have. Listen to Habakkuk. Some of you know this prophet is three chapters. And Habakkuk was told by the Lord that there was going to be, I think it was an Assyrian um, takeover. I think it was Babylon. I'm probably missing up the countries. But anyway, um, his people, Habakkuk's people, were going to be taken over and destroyed. And Habakkuk pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord said, Sorry. I love you, but this is my plan. This is my best, actually, for all of mankind. So Habakkuk, it says in chapter 2, got, got went in the tower, and he just prayed to the Lord. He prayed, he prayed, um, he begged the Lord until it happened. He said, God, please don't do this. Don't do this. He wasn't complacent, but he had growing contentment. And listen to chapter 3, evidence of his growing contentment. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. He's saying, God, if you don't feed me, if you don't give me drink, if I don't have a job, if I don't have housing, He says this, verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We learn this in Colossians chapter 1 as well, that our joy, lasting joy, I tell you, I I get a lot of joy out of my grandkids and my kids. I get a lot of joy out of you. But lasting joy, people are ultimately going to disappoint. Lasting joy is only found in salvation through Jesus Christ. I have everything I need for life and godliness. If you know Jesus Christ, you have everything you need for life and godliness. That Jesus did come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And you have everything you need, not because you have a full bank account, not because you have superior intelligence or ingenuity, but you have everything you want. You have everything you need because the Lord is your shepherd. He is your all in all. He is the good shepherd. And the reason that David can confidently say, I shall not want, is going to be unpacked, actually, in verses 2 through 6. That we're going to see this amazing um, psalm just open up to you, I trust, in new ways. As he really describes the character of this good shepherd and how he watches over us and leads us and feeds us. Spurgeon said this. He said, the sweetest word in Psalm 23 you know what it is? It's my. The Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd of the world at large. He is. He doesn't say that he is a shepherd that leadeth forth the multitude of his flock, as Spurgeon said. If he's a shepherd to no one else, he's a shepherd to me individually. He's a shepherd to you individually. 
And he is with you. He sees you. He is a shepherd to you who are part of his flock and he'll be a shepherd to many whom he is still bringing in. And no matter whatever your position in life is, you are under the care of the Lord right now. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who forever will be. So I just got an encouragement for those of you that are his sheep. And for those of you that aren't his sheep. And if you aren't his sheep, only the Lord knows. Is, what's a singular sheep? Shep? <laughs> if you're not one of his sheep, um, ask him to give you understanding on how to become a sheep. Beg him to bring you into the fold. If you are one of his sheep, I want to encourage you with John 10.10 10, that Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He didn't come to give you everything you want. He came to give you everything you needed. And it starts with a relationship with him. The one who can set you free. The only one that can set you free from the power and the penalty of sin. And if you're not yet in the sheep fold, Jesus says this, thinking of you. John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. David wrote this at the end of his life. And I think there's, it's, 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 it's small, but it's important. And this body right now is made up of people of all different ages. And some of you haven't experienced the pains and the joys of life as older people have. And I want to encourage you to, to, to grab an older person and sit at their feet for a while. And just ask them about the faithfulness of their God. What you're going to find out, anybody that's over 30, and those that are over 60 in particular, have lived a lot of life, and they have seen a lot of ups and downs in life, and they've seen a consistent thread throughout their life, in hindsight, that God is faithful. That God is faithful. And we don't always see it in the moment, do we? But we know in hindsight that He is faithful. And I want to encourage us, don't just blindly follow some man or some woman. Follow one another as we follow the good shepherd. Paul says that, follow me as I follow the Lord. So let's follow one another. Let's lean in to the good shepherd with one another as we each follow the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. God, we thank you for um, your living and active word. God, you are so creative. Um, Lord, to, to give us an illustration of a shepherd and a sheep that brings so much insight, so much comfort um, in knowing who you are, in knowing that, um, that you did not, Lord Jesus, consider equality with God something to be grasp, but you emptied yourself. You didn't empty yourself of your deity, but you emptied yourself of all the privileges that came with the Godhead, and that you were born in a lowly manger, and that you lived as a sheep amongst us, um, dirty, wayward sheep, those who are without hope, 
And I thank you that you willingly uh, went to the cross and laid yourself down and, were, and you were slaughtered so that we could have life and life, have life abundantly. And God, I pray in this country where um, there's dec- a declining percentage of those who are your true sheep, God, would you cause a revival? Would you uh, put yourself on display and save many? Would you bring others into your sheepfold? And God, we're, just, we're zealous to be used by you in that way. If you would choose to use us, if you would embolden us to, to uh, share the good news with those that, um, that you want to come into the fold and be your sheep, God, would you give us the, the boldness to do that? We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.